0: Good morning. It's always good to be with you here. Um, I'm always honored to uh, be invited to serve, uh, especially Craig and Kathy, who I've loved for years. And as you were praying for the Bouchelons, who I also know, served alongside them in campus ministry and uh, at the the congregation I was a part of before, it reminded me of actually the first, one of the first times I was in town serving uh, and had staff assigned to me. I was uh, the campus director at the Citadel for campus ministry. And I had a young couple that showed up so eager to, to learn and to serve and were energized about the mission that we had before us. And I was so quaintly reminded by um, the wife that she was very um, offended, hurt, angry at me because one of the first things I told them when they arrived is, I'm not your pastor. Um, I was their director on campus ministry, and I was their team leader and, and, and um, co-laborer at the Citadel, but I made it very clear that I, I wasn't their pastor and that they needed to find a congregation and a church uh, to be a part of, and at the time, Redeemer was Island Community over on James Island, and uh, they visited once and they never left. And, um, and just to affirm the ministry that you have had over years and years and years, uh, in recounting that story to me recently, she told me that was the, the best thing you could have ever told us, even though at the time I was very put off by it. And um, they are faithfully serving the Lord. He uh, has since gone to seminary and is pastoring a church in West Texas, but they were so grateful for the life of this church. And uh, for the past 20 years, I've been grateful to serve alongside your congregation here in the city. Um, this morning, I want to simply seek to serve you by encouraging you um, to put into practice our faith during this season. We are, um, as a family, currently looking at um, the practicalities of our faith, not just the the principles and the precepts or the theological truths or the great doctrines and all sorts of things that I tend to get animated and excited about. (laughs) Um, actually getting things done is something that I tend to be a little bit more of a theological procrastinator. Um, But it reminded me of my days in college ministry when I first began to faithfully seek to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. And what did that look like? And what questions did I have? And how was I supposed to go about it? And then Being a part of a movement and a ministry that was, you know, one of the first memory verses that you ever learned was this Great Commission passage about going and making disciples of all peoples and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so I have this verse in the forefront of my mind. I have this passion and this renewed um, spirit to seek to do things with my life that actually honored God rather than dishonored him. i had been very good at dishonoring him. Um, And I used to tell people that I'm God's practical joke on hell. I mean, if you um, knew me prior to my discipleship decision, um, you would have thought the same thing. And so as I considered, and as I hope that you would consider, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a student? Well, you know, it didn't take too much. I mean, I was, I didn't go to public school, but I, you know, I, I was able to connect the idea of being a student meant that I was supposed to learn something. And I was in college and I was supposed to be learning something at a major. And, and then I was also a cadet. So connecting the idea of being a disciple with disciplines was something that made sense to me. So I thought I need some disciplines of learning. I just kind of put those two things together. And thought, what do I need to be learning? Well, Jesus said I needed to be learning all that he's commanded. So I went about making a list. Just give me the list. What's all the things I need to know? What's all the things that Jesus commanded? And I'm going to get busy about doing those things. Any of y'all ever been there? I thought, I mean, what a great place to start, right? Um, Just teach them all that I commanded. Okay. So I just started, you know, Matthew 1, verse 1, like you guys are doing here with Craig marching through the Gospel of Matthew. I was just working my way through, making a list of all the imperatives. And it didn't take me very long to realize that I was really good at finding the things that Jesus wanted me to do. Uh, I was really good at acquiring information. I was really bad at actually doing the things he wanted me to do. And that my problem of being a disciple, my problem, it seems like, in my whole time of being a disciple and seeking to follow Jesus faithfully actually didn't arise out of my knowing. Has that been your experience? Because most of us this morning, if I'm going to open the Word and encourage you to seek to apply God's truths to your life, most of you probably aren't going to be surprised by anything that I would tell you. If I started to give you the list of the things that we ought to do and maybe the things that we ought not to do and we ought to pray for, Lord, forgive us for the things we've done and we've left undone as the Book of Common Prayer so eloquently uh, puts into words for us. Most of you, that's not where you struggle. You don't struggle in the knowing. You struggle in the doing. And that's where I realized that that passage said, and Making disciples wasn't about teaching them all that Jesus said. It was actually teaching them to obey all Jesus said, which if you're a parent, you know there's night and day between those two things, right? I can teach my children about cleaning their room and what that would look like theoretically. <laughs> and they could be like, Dad, I'm so, that was such, you know, that was so insightful in a life uh, of organization and cleanliness, being next to godliness, that's just so interesting. And so what I've done is I've memorized what you've said. And I've um, actually got together some other uh, kids, and we're going to have a, a study about what it would be like if we actually organized our rooms. I mean, we're going we're to we're look at all the different ways, and, and, and uh, we're going to study and vision cast and dream about what it would be like if we had a room that was clean. I just want you to put your toys away. You know, like, I just want you to pick up your Legos. And um, it doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, I'm I'm, I'm glad you're excited, but sometimes that's the way that we can err. We can err on the side of learning about things rather than actually doing them. And as I knew that you were walking through the Gospel of Matthew, um, I found myself actually going to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and If you're familiar with it, he says, he summarizes all of his teaching with everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man. And then everyone who hears these words of mine and then does not do them is like a foolish man. And what struck me was that Jesus did not make a distinguishment, or he did not distinguish between those who heard and those who hadn't heard those who knew and those who didn't know those who understood and didn't understand those who memorized and did not memorize those who taught and could not teach it was all about those who knew his words that was the distinguishing characteristic oftentimes we like to think about those who've never heard the gospel and 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 we get motivated about missions in in the in that reality but here the 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 stress of Jesus's teaching isn't on those who have never heard the stress is on those who have heard and what he says is he says that wisdom is found in the doing and not in the knowing did you catch that wisdom is actually found in doing Conversely, folly is found in the not doing, not in the not knowing. See, we live in an enlightenment culture, a, a, you know, a reformation culture, as it were, and sometimes we equate sages and wisdom with the all-knowing, right? We would maybe even use that term to talk about a wise person. But here, Jesus says wisdom is actually more of a correlation between action Wisdom is found in the doing. See, folly is found in the not doing because ignorance in simple is what the Proverbs use to talk about someone who, does, who lacks knowledge. The simple person or the simple man or the simple woman is someone who just lacks information. They, they don't know any better. They don't know any better. They, they lack knowledge. That's what makes them simple. But what makes a person a fool is they know better. And yet they choose to do what they know better than to do. That was, that's what makes them a fool. So Jesus didn't make a distinction between those who heard and had never heard or the people who uh, are wise and knew He wasn't making the distinction, as it were, between those who know his word, those who study his word, those who affirm his word, those who are confessionally and doctrinally orthodox. He didn't make the distinction between those who were involved in spiritual disciplines like memorizing or maybe spiritually gifted as those who could teach his word. He didn't make any of those distinctions in correlation to his word. He made the distinction between those who put it into practice and those who didn't, the wise and the foolish. That's what he meant when he said, I want you to make disciples of all peoples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Did you you notice, if you've ever studied, I know that you'll get there as you're walking through the Gospel of Matthew, but it ends on this odd story where Jesus tells the disciples to go make disciples, but right prior to those words, just previous to that, it says, The disciples went to the mount where Jesus told them to go, and they worshiped them, but some doubted. Not Thomas doubted. I mean, of course, you know, like you would expect one doubted. Thomas. You know, everybody rolls their eyes. No, they went to the mount where Jesus directed them to go, and they worshiped him, and some doubted. And then he said, all authority on heaven and earth, and he gives this commission. But the odd thing about that passage is he's telling a bunch of of disciples to go replicate themselves, go make more of you. But they're sitting there doubting him and he doesn't disqualify them because of their doubt. Because their doubt isn't what qualifies them or disqualifies them, it's their obedience that qualifies them or disqualifies them. Because he said, Go to this mountain. It said they went to the mountain that Jesus told them to go. They, They obeyed him even though they had some doubts. They obeyed him even though they had some questions. They obeyed him even though they couldn't quite understand what was going on or how this would work out. And that is really the life of discipleship. Because Jesus commands us to do a lot of things that don't make sense to our earthly minds. To forgive our enemies and to love those who have wronged us and to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness to those who don't deserve it doesn't make sense and I have some doubts about how that's going to work out because the pattern of behavior that this person has exhibited, me being kind to them, isn't going to teach them the lesson I think they need to learn. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, what disqualifies you or qualifies you isn't your ability to reason or to understand or your ability to have a life... Without doubt, it's it's your ability to actually obey what I've commanded you to do. James reiterates this, a familiar passage for most of us in the church. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. James, again, echoes the teachings of Jesus saying that you could be a fool and you could actually deceive yourself by thinking That because you know certain things and you know what the Bible says and you know who Jesus is and that you're uh, doctrinally aligned and orthodox and you've memorized and studied and you're well-educated in the ways of God, that somehow you're wise. And James says you are not wise if you don't put into practice, if you're just a hearer of the word and not a doer. Sometimes I, I, I laugh at myself at, at the acquisition of uh, theological education because they give you a master's of divinity like I've mastered divinity. <laughs> right? Like, what, what would that look like? Um, James says all of your theological education, if you are a knower of the word and not a doer, then you actually can become deceived. The more educated you are, the actually more likely you are to be deceived into thinking that you are mature. He says, we all know this, right? Anyone who hears the word and not a doer is like a man who looks and forgets. He says, if you look and you forget, what? why did you bother looking? But the one who looks and perseveres he says, a doer that doesn't forget but acts, James says that's where the blessing is found. He said he will be blessed in his doing. Notice he didn't say they would be blessed by simply knowing or understanding or studying or memorizing or able to teach or affirming or quoting the biblical teaching. He said they will be blessed in their doing. And he gives the simple illustration, if someone comes into your congregation and they're cold and they're hungry and you say be warm without giving them something to clothe them and you say be filled without giving them food to feed them what good is that? Answer no good. <laughs> it's no good. So again I don't think I'm probably telling you anything that you pr- doesn't already make sense to you intuitively if you give any thought to it whatsoever but doing Makes a difference, and that's what I wanted to underscore for us this morning. Doing is what makes the difference, not only in the positive, but in the negative. Most of you, if you would think about the times in your life when you've been hurt the most, the most painful points in in your life, it's not because someone knew something about you, it's because someone did something to you. And their doing is what made the difference. So, what are we supposed to be doing? Well, like a good list maker and a, a good student of the Word, I just went about going, okay, what do I need to be doing? And I came across this phrase that we actually read this morning in Philippians. Uh, in the Scriptures, it's one another. In, in Greek, it's the, it's the word alelon, uh, one word in Greek, but it's translated two words in English, one another. We are to consider one another more highly or more uh, significant than ourselves, Philippians, that we read this morning. We are to love one another. We are to forgive one another. We're to comfort one another. We're to welcome one another. We're to greet one another and serve one another and instruct one another and pray for one another and honor one another. And as so I started making all of these lists of the one and And very quickly I found myself making the mistake of thinking that if I knew better, I would do better. <laughs> and I went about thinking about all of one another's and why I wasn't doing them. And if I was going to give you a teaching on loving one another or forgiving one another, in my uh in my flesh, in my natural mind, I would probably go about it in the way of like a TED talk or you know some sort of a, um, political action speech or something like that. Because we are an education, we are an enlightenment culture, and we do believe that education is key and if people knew better, they do better, so we start talking to people about the benefits of something. <laughs> Let me tell you about all the benefits. If you would do this and if you would do different, there are lots of benefits to doing different. So let me just tell you about those benefits. And maybe you'll just be compelled by the benefits of recycling, <laughs> right? Or uh, the benefits of loving one another. Can you imagine if, if we just lived in this community where everybody was loving one another and counting each other uh, more important than themselves and giving uh, all of the time and energy, uh, attention and energy to one another's needs as they give to their own? I mean, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that, we would all benefit from a community like that. And everyone's like, yeah, that would be great. And then I would warn you of the harms of not doing those things and the dangers. If we don't do this, this is how, this is what's going to, this is the consequences. And I mean, can you imagine a community that's not loving, a home that's not loving, parents that aren't forgiving and aren't gracious and aren't encouraging? I mean, what kind of children would we raise? What kind of marriage would that be? What kind of community would that produce? And, Oh, you know, warning, warning, you know, don't do that. And then you might even start to feel a little guilty for not doing what you should do and maybe for doing some things that you shouldn't. And then I can really press it home, right? Because you want to relieve your guilt and, and I want to give you an opportunity to relieve your guilt by motivating you to do better. And I might even then start to give you some practical steps. Ways to overcome the obstacles of doing what you know you should do. And then we could all leave here with a resolve to do better and our three points on how to love better and forgive better and encourage better and to speak well of one another and honor others and to serve. And then you know what happens to me? I go home and I think I'm going to get a nap, but I have five kids and so I don't get a nap. And all my resolution to be a better father, and to be more forgiving, and to be more patient, and to ha- be patient with one another, and encourage—you know—all that goes out the window. And you know, in the in the midst of having an interrupted nap, right? Uh, I don't go, okay, wait. Step one. <laughs> step two. Okay, hold on, wait, guys. I'm in, I'm in step three right now. Just give me a minute. Like that never happens. And so. All of, the ben- all of the benefits of loving my family a certain way doesn't really matter. All of the warnings about not, my flesh usually trumps those things. All of the practical steps of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, um, usually I, I, don't, I don't make it past the first one. Because the, the moment trumps the message. And what I have to admit to myself is that the problem is that, that I don't know better. The problem is just that I don't do better. The problem is not the fact that I lack information. The problem is I just want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to do what I ought to do. I have to actually come to the realization that the problem isn't in my knowing. You know, that's a simple example, but I have I tell people often that according to Jesus, the wisest person in my house is my wife. <laughs> and sometimes, um, if you're in a church culture, people assume that because I have theological education and because I have access to uh, languages and tools and commentaries and I've read a lot of old dead guys and you know I can quote a lot of uh, things and reference a lot of other uh, teachers and authors that I'm wise in the ways of the word and uh, in the ways of God um, I wish I was as faithful as I was knowledgeable but my wife is, is faithful She's knowledgeable. She's walked with the Lord for you know over 20 years. She's she knows she knows the scriptures. She's very well educated. She knows theology. And she it's not that she's uneducated, it's not that she doesn't know, but it's that she does. That there's a very small gap between what my wife knows and what my wife does. And I am reminded often that I deceive myself in my pursuit of knowledge rather than my pursuit of obedience. And so I tell my kids all the time, I don't necessarily even want you to do what I say, I just want you to do what your mom does. (laughs) You know, instead of do as I say, not as I do, no. No. Do as I say and as your mom does. Because she's the, she's the faithful one. So the reason that we don't do certain things isn't because we don't know something. Let's just be honest about it. It's, in, in the church community, it's not because we don't know something. It's not like you thought, wow, when he said forgive one another, I never knew that I should be doing that. <laughs> what, whoa, forgiving one another and, and uh, honoring one another and encouraging one another, I never knew that. It's not the knowing that's the hard part. It's the doing. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and I were at a marriage renewal ceremony. I don't know if you've ever participated in one of these. But this is a time when a husband and a wife who've sinned so greatly and grievously against one another in all of the ways that would justify divorce, that they seek to love one another and forgive one another and be gracious to one another and to treat one another the way that God in Christ has treated them and they renew their covenant and I was in awe as I had watched the devastation and the damage and the hurt and I was intimately aware of all of the sin in its ugliest manifestations. And for this couple to believe and trust, even when they had doubts that obeying Jesus was the best thing for themselves and for the other and for their marriage and for their kids. And there was another couple in the room who had gone through the very same thing and had done the same thing and renewed their vows just the year before. And I was seeing this trickle effect of those who actually were seeking to put into practice the teachings of Christ. See, the reason that we don't do certain things isn't because we don't know that we should be doing them. The reason that we don't do what we should do is because we've actually forgotten something. And so the solution for our forgetting is in our remembering we as confessional people have a different golden rule our golden rule isn't do unto others as you'd have them do unto you because we live on this side of Golgotha we live on this side of the cross And our confession as confessional people isn't to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, it's to do unto others as Christ has done unto you. And that makes all the difference. So when you think of loving and forgiving and comforting and welcoming and serving and instructing and honoring, if you look at all of those statements in scripture, the apostles as they communicated those things to God's people, always correlated them to their relationship to god this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as god in christ forgave you comfort one another with the comfort with which you have been comforted welcome one another as christ has welcomed you serve one another as he's given us an example so that we should lay down our lives for others as he's laid down his life for us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. They're always correlated to how God treats us. So the motivation for doing is not knowing, it's remembering. That's the scriptural direction. Not to just tell you and convict you, and to uh, prod you, and um, encourage you, and exhort you to forgive and to love and to uh, encourage. It's to remind you. We celebrate communion. We sing these songs. We rehearse all of the things that we do. We confess our sins, and we have an assurance of pardon. The whole order of service that we walk through this morning. The whole purpose of that isn't just to have a religious order and to have a a confessional and a doctrinally sound liturgy, it's actually to remind ourselves of the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. So that as I encourage you and as I exhort you and as I compel you and plead with you to put into practice the one another's, that you just don't seek to do that apart from remembering what God has done for you. The reason that a husband could look at his wife and say, "I choose to see you without any rot, uh, without any spot, or wrinkle, or any blemish, or any such, thi- any such thing," the reason that he could go uh, and uh, receive her in her white dress and gift her with a white negligee is to say, "I see you as Christ sees you." And I forgive you not because you deserve it. I forgive you because I didn't deserve it. That's the gospel that we seek to remember as we seek to obey what Jesus has commanded. So let me pray for you towards that end. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, today that we would not just seek, a pe- be, seek to be a people that know more, but that we would seek to be a people that do more. Uh, we pray that we wouldn't be like people who look into a mirror and forget, but that we would uh, gaze upon your glory and that we would, as a consequence, be transformed from one degree of glory to another, being conformed to the image of Jesus. Who loved us, who forgave us, who served us and instructed us, who encourages us, who honors us, who humbles himself that we might be exalted. Father, we pray that you would remind us of your grace and the mercy that we have found in your Son, and that by your Spirit we might be more like him. To your glory, for our good, we ask all of these things in his holy name. Amen.